Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, July 22nd, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Leading tech firms agree to voluntary AI safeguards. A date is set for Trump's classified documents trial. China is accused of hacking the U.S. ambassador's email. NASA spots 37 space boulders from a deflected asteroid. Google says it's building an AI tool for journalists. Threads user engagement plummets. Couts apologizes for Nigel Farage's bank account closure. Amazon says it will offer pay by palm at Whole Foods. Eating less meat is found to reduce greenhouse emissions. And Amsterdam bans cruise ships. In our top story, seven leading tech firms agree to White House AI safeguards. And here are the facts as agreed upon by New York Times, ABC News, Ground News, Associated Press, Wall Street Journal, and Daily Mail. On Friday, the White House announced that seven leading AI companies, including Amazon, Google, Meta, and Microsoft, have agreed to meet a set of AI safeguards brokered by U.S. President Joe Biden's administration. The voluntary commitments would ensure their AI products are safe before being released, with firms agreeing to third-party oversight although the agreements don't detail who will be in charge of regulating the technology or holding the companies accountable. Other commitments include the use of digital watermarking tools to help distinguish between real and AI-generated images, known as deep fakes. The four tech companies, along with OpenAI, Anthropic, and Inflection, also committed to security testing to examine the potential for societal harms, such as bias and discrimination. Biden highlighted the possible risks and opportunities posed by AI technology, saying, we'll see more technology change in the next 10 years, or even in the next few years than we've seen in the last 50, adding that regulating the emerging technology is a serious responsibility. The move comes amid growing concerns about fake content passing as real, as new AI tools allow for the creation of convincingly human-like text and realistic-looking images. Thanks, Eric. On the Improve the News podcast, we like to separate the facts from the narrative spin. Eric just laid out the facts of that story. I'm going to start off our first round of narrative spins with an establishment critical narrative provided by ABC News. A vague, closed-door meeting with a bunch of corporate executives that results in voluntary commitment with no path to hold companies accountable isn't enough. Wide-ranging public deliberations need to take place on issues that AI might pose, and more stringent regulations need to be made. We follow that up with a pro-establishment narrative coming from Wall Street Journal. While there's still a way to go, these voluntary commitments are an important step towards regulating the enormous promise and risks posed by AI technology. The White House and these technology companies are committed to creating a regulatory foundation to ensure that the promises of AI stay ahead of any risks. There's also a cynical narrative provided by USA Today. While these regulations may seem like a promising step toward regulating this newly developing technology, they may also lead to a monopoly on the technologies as deep-pocketed tech giants will be able to meet the strict regulations, but smaller startups may struggle to meet the regulatory structures. And we have a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. It says there's a 40% chance that AI will be given legal rights 
or be protected from abuse anywhere in the United States before the year 2035. We're doing nothing but just helping the robots. I was going to ask you really quickly. Uh, yeah. Is, is this is this the real Adam or is this a deep fake that that I'm working with right now? Um, this is actually level three deep fake. So there's the actual Adam and then there is the first level of deep fake. And then after that, it's a deep, deep fake. So you're on level three deep fake. I couldn't help but notice some of the uh, idiot tendencies during. Sorry. Sorry about that. Okay. Want to help us improve the news? Go to www.improvethenews.org forward slash pod. Take a quick survey and tell us what you think. Now back to the news. Trump documents case is slated for May 20th, 2024. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, The Hill, CBS, and Reuters. On Friday, U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon scheduled the trial over former President Donald Trump's alleged mishandling of classified documents after his presidency to take place starting May 20th, 2024. Cannon rejected a request from Trump's legal team to indefinitely delay the trial while Trump runs for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. But she also characterized prosecutors' desire for a sooner trial as, quote, atypically accelerated and inconsistent with ensuring a fair trial. The trial will take place toward the end of the Republican presidential primary season, more than two months after Super Tuesday, and a couple months ahead of the Republican National Convention. As a result of special counsel Jack Smith's investigation, Trump in June was charged with 37 felony counts related to records the government retrieved from his Mar-a-Lago home. Trump pleaded not guilty to all counts. In addition, Trump is facing legal troubles on other fronts. He's set to go on trial in Manhattan in March on charges he falsified business records, and he revealed Tuesday that he was informed he's the target of a grand jury investigation into his alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. Adam, thanks for the facts of that story. Our first spin is a pro-Trump narrative coming from Daily Wire. Although it's disappointing that a Trump-appointed judge didn't agree with the Trump legal team's request, at least the voters will probably have selected the Republican nominee before the start of the trial. There's still a chance the trial could be further delayed, especially since a case involving a former president is so unique and will require many motions. That's going to be followed up with a Democratic narrative provided by the New York Times. Cannon has rightfully rejected the Trump team's ridiculous request to have the trial pushed until after the election. This spoils Trump's lawyer's plan of having this case go away by virtue of him winning the presidency. Meanwhile, this date works just fine for prosecutors. And Red State provides the Republican narrative. Democrats' weaponization of the U.S. Department of Justice is working to perfection, and Cannon is now complicit. Not only are indictments against Trump, who Democrats want to run against, improving his chances of winning the nomination, but his trial date means most primary voters won't know his legal status when they go to the polls. Democrats have obtained their goal of maximum interference in the election. And we're going to wrap this story up with a nerd narrative from our friends in the Pataculous Prediction community. They think there's a 70% chance that Trump will be the Republican nominee for the U.S. presidential election. 
I don't see anybody else stepping up. How about you? I thought you were going to throw your hat in the ring. I, I, I would, I would, I wouldn't even pretend to be a Republican nowadays. Oh come on! You know what? You could pull it off. How about you? You could pull it off. I see all those no. red sh- shirts you wear. You, Eric. You to man. Yeah, you to. I see you yeah, to Republican I, I, man. I, I've seen you wear those red neckties. You're the one who lives in the South talking about red neckties. <laughs> red neckties. <laughs> According to a special report, China-backed hackers breached a U.S. ambassador's email. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Wall Street Journal, CNN, Reuters, Forbes, and The Guardian. A Wall Street Journal report alleges that Beijing-linked hackers have accessed the email account of the U.S. ambassador to China, Nicholas Burns, as part of a cyber campaign revealed last week that compromised hundreds of thousands of U.S. government emails. CNN reports that the hackers also got access to the accounts of the Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia, Daniel Crittenbrink, and Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. However, the details and scope of the cyber attacks remain under investigation. Last week, Microsoft accused Chinese hackers of exploiting a flaw in the company's cloud systems to gain access to U.S. government email accounts. Microsoft and the U.S. Department of State have declined to comment on the recent report, with the State Department saying its investigation is ongoing. The software company says the group Storm0558, a China-based actor, is responsible. Curtin Brink accompanied Secretary of State Antony Blinken on his recent trip to China, while Raimondo has been involved with developing sanctions against Chinese companies. While neither Blinken's nor his advisor's accounts had been breached, according to the report, the hackers may have gained insight into preparations for meetings between U.S. and Chinese officials. A spokesperson at the Chinese embassy in Washington has said that the PRC rejects the groundless accusations and that they stand opposed to cyber attacks in all forms. Thank you, Eric. We're going to start off with an anti-China narrative provided by Politico. China is the most pernicious cyber threat the world faces. And these massive breaches haven't even reached a tenth of what they may be capable of. U.S. cyber infrastructure, publicly and privately, is woefully unprepared for a full-blown cyber war with China, as their hackers could potentially penetrate every aspect of American life. The U.S. needs to go smart on cybersecurity to defend itself against a growing and aggressive threat. And the pro-China narrative comes from Xinhua. It's the specialty of the U.S. to accuse others of what they are most guilty of. Based on unconfirmed media reports, the U.S. government is trying to stoke animosity towards China with these new cyber attack charges. It's the U.S., not China, that is the most vicious and unrelenting cyber criminal on the world stage. The U.S. is not only responsible for countless attacks on China and other countries, but America's intelligence apparatus has used every tool at its disposal to topple foreign governments. The global community must stand together against America's dangerous and hypocritical cyber policy. Pretty much just as you would expect a pro-China narrative and an anti-China narrative to sound, don't you think? Textbook. (laughs) They got it right. They did. Good job. Spins. (laughs) We're going to move on. That's right. NASA spots 37 space boulders from a deflected asteroid. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Register, CNN, New Scientist, The Indian Express, and NASA. 
NASA's Hubble Space Telescope has detected a cluster of 37 boulders that were ejected from the asteroid Dimorphos, which the agency's DART, or Double Asteroid Redirection Test, mission successfully targeted and hit in the world's first planetary defense test mission against a celestial object. On September 22, 2002, the 1.2 kiloton, or 544-kilogram, pound spacecraft crashed directly into Dimorphos at 13,000 miles per hour, or 21 kilometers per hour, in an attempt to change the asteroid's velocity and movement. The mission also helped to determine how kinetic impact technology can be used to deflect asteroids that could potentially hit the Earth. After the DART successfully impacted Dimorphos and reduced the length of its orbit by 33 minutes, David Jewett and his colleagues at the University of California, Los Angeles, in December used the Hubble to study the debris, finding 37 boulders, which range from 1 to nearly 7 meters, or 3 to 23 feet, across. Jewett said the spectacular observation was much better than expected, adding that his team could see a cloud of boulders carrying mass and energy away from the impact target. For the first time, scientists could see what happens when they strike an asteroid and the material it ejects up to the largest sizes. NASA says the rocks are drifting away from Dimorphos at roughly a half a mile per hour, or 0.8 kilometers per hour, or around the walking speed of a giant tortoise. The rock's combined mass is about 0.1% that of the asteroid. The boulders are likely not shattered fragments of Dimorphos itself, but were rather already scattered on its surface. While neither Dimorphos nor the asteroid it orbits, Didymos, poses a threat to Earth, scientists will use the findings to prevent a potential asteroid collision. In 2024, the European Space Agency will launch its HERA mission to study both asteroids and measure their physical properties. Thank you, Adam, for those interesting facts. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from Vox. NASA's groundbreaking work not only provides fascinating insight into the larger universe around us, but it could also save our very existence by developing a defense against potential asteroids headed toward Earth. There are many dangers beyond our planet that threaten our safety and could end life as we know it. Thankfully, NASA's DART mission is discovering information and developing a plan that could save our planet one day. And there's a narrative B provided by HT Tech. NASA's DART mission could very well be vital in protecting the Earth from a catastrophic collision. However, the scientific community must be very careful with how it gathers and uses this otherworldly information as there could be unimaginable consequences. This technology also brings the possibility of deflecting asteroids into Earth's path on purpose by a bad actor as a weapon of mass destruction. Proper precautions must be taken with these celestial developments. And there's a nerd narrative being provided by the Metaculous Prediction community. It says there's a 3% chance that before 2025, an asteroid or comet estimated to be at least 50 meters in diameter, will be detected and due to collide with Earth before the year 2100. Well, I'll be gone by then, so that's okay. Yeah, but you're going to be around when they detect it. Oh, okay. That, 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 that'll be fun. You know, I'll be like, oh, ooh, I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> what what does worry me is these bad actors right. getting a hold of this. I mean, what are they going to, they're going to have the device and they're going to be like, 
Look out, for I will fire my rocket at hey. this asteroid. Well, I mean, is that how the bad actors uh, are you talking? Threaten the Earth? Are you talking about Paul Rubens? Yeah, you're right. I don't want him to get involved. Wow, either. dude, shots fired. <laughs> Dang, I wasn't like doing it like that or nothing. Jeez, I wasn't naming anybody. I was just using a generic bad actor. Well, I, I could have said Pee Wee Herman. Wow. <laughs> hey, he, I think okay. Paul Rubens, you know, it's going to get back. You know, the guys at Smartless listen to this show. It's going to get back to Paul Rubens somehow that you were dissing him. So, oh, no. How much, it, how much is it worth to you for me to edit that out? I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> According to a recent report, Google is building an AI tool for journalists. And here are the facts as agreed upon by New York Times, Reuters, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, and NBC. Google is reportedly testing a product known internally as Genesis that can use artificial intelligence to produce news stories, and the company has pitched it to several news organizations, including The New York Times, The Washington Post, and Wall Street Journal owner News Corp. A Google spokesperson said the technology is in its early stages, but it could be used as a tool that enhances reporters' work and productivity, but won't replace the essential role of journalists. This comes as the media industry has endured a global downturn, as a collapse in print advertising revenues has contributed to several rounds of layoffs, with U.S. newsrooms eliminating over 17,000 jobs in the first five months of 2023. Previously, the Associated Press agreed to allow OpenAI, the maker of ChatGBT, to use the news agency's stories archive to train its AI models. AI is also becoming part of other professions, and its use is a major sticking point in current labor disputes that have led to strikes by the Hollywood Actors Union SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild of America. Thank you, Eric. There's a narrative A provided by Sun Sentinel. You can't stop progress. Many news organizations have already started using AI in their content creation, or they've begun considering how best to integrate AI into their newsrooms. Rather than looking at Genesis as a threat, journalists should look at it as Google responsibly developing a tool that will enhance their work and make them more productive. Narrative B is coming from Washington Post. AI must be kept out of the newsroom. Time and time again, the technology has proven it can't be trusted to produce factual reports the way human journalists can. Not only should media outlets be leery of Genesis accuracy, but also Google's intentions, considering its history of harvesting intellectual property for its financial gain at the expense of content providers. And the nerds of Metaculous have an opinion. They think there's a 52% chance that there will eventually be a positive transition to a world with radically smarter-than-human AI. But it didn't say when, what, so yeah, okay. That hurts my brain. And that's why we will be replaced. Because their brains don't hurt. They don't feel. That's right. Estimates show Thread's user engagement plummeted. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, Wall Street Journal, and Entrepreneur. Estimates from market intelligence firm Sensor Tower shows that Meta's new social media app Threads has experienced a 70% decline in daily active users since its July 7th peak, with its users dropping from 44 million to 13 million and the average daily time spent on the app declining to 4 minutes from its peak of 19. 
Meanwhile, Thread's rival Twitter is reportedly experiencing a steady daily active user rate of roughly 200 million, along with 30 minutes of average daily user time. Meta, which also owns Instagram, sparked Thread's signups by allowing its 2 billion Instagram users to join through their accounts after it launched on July 5th. That day, Twitter's web engagement decreased by 5%. Threads is still looking to improve its user experience. Adam Mosseri, the head of Meta's Instagram unit, which produced Threads, has promised to add features including support for multiple accounts, the ability to edit posts, and a chronological feed option similar to Instagram and Facebook. Meta, however, has yet to monetize Threads, unlike YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter, which allows creators to generate revenue through brand partnership and advertisements. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg expressed optimism Monday, writing, The focus for the rest of the year is improving the basics and retention. It'll take time to stabilize, but once we nail that, then we'll focus on growing the community. Adam, thanks for the facts of that story. Our first spin is a left narrative coming from Wired. While Threads has dealt with some technological issues and still has to implement core features to rival Twitter, its advertiser-friendly content will be what brings in the cash and helps Meta take on the ideologically dangerous platform owned by Elon Musk. Threads may face an uphill battle, but it will be a smooth-running alternative where users and advertisers can go for positive content. That left narrative is going to be followed with a right narrative provided by Federalist. Meta isn't just a big tech poacher trying to outcompete its business competitors. It's a big brother platform that has admitted to censoring Americans at the behest of the federal government. This is why social media users who care about free speech should be cautious not to let the free speech platform be destroyed by technocratic elites. Adam, I downloaded threads. I was looking for a new suit. You know, maybe just something off the rack. And maybe some accessories to go with it, but I couldn't find anything. Nothing. No socks, no underwear. I would totally expect that. I, th I thought the Threads was uh, Men's Suit Warehouse, uh, their web their website, their online ordering. Right. I thought it was the new Men's Warehouse, but oh man, not. what a what a how disappointing. Yeah. So just wanted to give you a heads up. Okay. Thanks for the heads up, Eric. I appreciate that. Hey, anytime, anytime. You know what? I'll be your life coach anytime. So where where did you end up finding a new suit at? Oh, uh, uh, Kmart. <laughs> there aren't even Kmarts. There aren't even Kmarts anymore, are there? Never mind. <laughs> In our next story, Couts apologizes for Nigel Farage's bank account closure. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Express UK, Sky News, Daily Mail, Evening Standard, and Politico. On Thursday, the BBC amended its story concerning Cout's bank closure of British politician Nigel Farage's account, having been criticized for its reporting on the matter based on evidence obtained by Farage. On July 4th, BBC business editor Simon Jack published claims that Farage was removed as a client of Cout's due to his financial situation rather than his political stances. The BBC has now clarified that the claim stemmed from an anonymous source in the article's title and included an update on a Couch report acquired by Farage. The news comes after the CEO of NatWest, the owners of Couts, apologized to Farage after he obtained documents from the bank confirming that his account was shut down for ideological reasons. In the letter to Farage, 
NatWest CEO Dame Allison Rose stated that the comments within the 40-page internal report did not reflect the views of the bank. In response, Farage claimed that the apology was a start, promising to continue campaigning against what he has claimed to be banks attempting to suppress freedom of speech. The report obtained by Farage had accused the former UK Independence Party leader of xenophobic, chauvinistic, and racist views. The news comes after the UK government announced that banks would have to, quote, explain and delay decisions to close bank accounts. Thanks, Eric. We're going to start off with a left narrative provided by Financial Times. It's ironic that payment regulations upholding Farage's right to hold a bank account, regardless of his political opinions, stem from a European charter. However, the reality is that whether right or wrong, Farage wasn't worth the hassle for Couts. If there is any bright side, it's that Farage will not have the problem of being a politically exposed person next year, having not won a seat in an election for rather a long period of time. We counter that with a right narrative coming from Spectator. Political discrimination is alive and well in the banking sector, and counts must pay for its behavior. Targeting of figures such as Farage seems to be rife throughout a plethora of banks, and tough questions should be demanded of the entire financial sector. It's a dangerous precedent to try and put a barrier between those we disagree with and their everyday necessities, such as a bank account, and this action should be condemned by all sides. Amazon to offer pay-by-palm at Whole Foods. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNBC, The Hill, Engadget, and Digital Trend. Amazon announced Thursday that it will offer Amazon One, a biometric technology that lets users enter and pay for items at stores by placing a palm over a scanning device at every Whole Foods store location by the end of the year. Pay by Palm is already established in over 200 Whole Foods, including in California, New York, and Texas, though it will now expand to the company's more than 500 locations. It's also available at non-Amazon-owned locations, such as the Colorado Rocky Stadium and Panera Bread. Amazon said that besides using it as a payment method, customers who link it to their Prime membership will also be able to automatically save on products once their Palm is registered. Shoppers can enroll online with their credit or debit card, Amazon account, and mobile number. To complete the setup, they scan their palm over an Amazon One device at a Whole Foods store where it reads their palm and underlying vein structure to create a unique numerical code called a palm signature. The retail giant has increasingly marketed its technology, which also includes its cashier-less checkout program called Just Walk Out, to third parties such as airport stores, sports stadiums, and concert venues as part of its Amazon Web Services cloud division. While critics are calling on venues to stop partnering with Amazon One over concerns that the government could use the technology to track people, Amazon says it has implemented secure cloud storage for palm signatures as well as anti-tampering protections. Adam, thank you for those facts. The first spin is a pro-establishment narrative coming from S&P Global Market Intelligence. Amazon's invention of the palm reading payment system is remarkable from both a business and health perspective. What may not be talked about is that this technology, which was built in record time, 
boosted Americans' confidence during the pandemic as they increasingly sought out touchless payment systems to steer clear of spreading viruses. Amazon has remained ahead of competitors like Apple and Walmart as it works to single-handedly revolutionize the payment processing industry. We're going to back that up with an establishment critical narrative provided by Guardian. The use of biometric scanning, not just for palms, but facial and finger recognition too, can very well lead to a dystopian future. While such tyrannical surveillance schemes are already seen in China, Western states too, in conjunction with technology companies, are already using it. The UK's national health system, for example, uses facial scans to put up people's COVID status. And stores are using it to spot subjects of interest who walk into their shops. This move is deeply concerning. And we have a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. It says there's a 50% chance that Amazon will deliver some products by drone by August of 2025. That's such an, oh, by the way, we have this to worry about, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> drones dropping packages on your head. What, what if you order, like, a drone from Amazon and it's delivered by a drone? By a drone? Would that be like the stork mm. dropping off babies? Yep. So I thought. With your electronic baby? Yeah. I'm concerned about these critics who are, who are calling out, uh, you know, Amazon for, for helping the government track us. Yeah. They probably express their concerns over these electronic devices that they carry around in their pockets all the time. <laughs> Yeah. According to a recent UK study, eating less meat reduces greenhouse emissions. And here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, The Guardian, Applied Sciences from Technology Networks, and Nature. A new scientific study published in Nature estimates that if big UK meat eaters reduce their consumption of red and processed meats, it would be the equivalent of taking 8 million cars off of the road. Researchers at Oxford University have found that the meat industry's impact on greenhouse gas emissions can be offset if people switch to a low-meat diet. But the meat industry disputes the findings, arguing the study overstates the impact. The study found that vegan diets led to 75% fewer greenhouse emissions, water pollution, and land use than diets in which more than 100 grams of meat per day was consumed. This reduced the destruction of wildlife habitat by 66%, and water consumption by 54%. The university's Livestock, Environment, and People Project team compared dietary data from over 55,000 individuals, classifying participants as vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, or meat-eaters. The environmental impact of their diets was then correlated to factors including greenhouse gas emissions and biodiversity loss. The study found a positive correlation between all environmental indicators and the amount of animal-based food consumed, with vegans leading to at least a 30% difference across these variables. Globally, the food system emits a third of the world's emissions and causes 80% of river and lake pollution. Humans also use 75% of the world's land, primarily for agriculture. All right, Eric, we're going to start off our first round of narrative spins with a narrative A provided by Independent. The groundbreaking report from Oxford clearly shows that a meat-free diet is found to have a much lower environmental impact on land use, water pollution, water use, and biodiversity loss. It also found that high meat diets produce four times more greenhouse gases than vegan diets. All things considered, we would all be better off for the planet if we reduced our meat consumption. Narrative B comes from Hackney Gazette. 
It's oversimplifying things to say that vegetarianism is better for the environment than eating meat because so much of our vegetables are imported. It's not the government's role to impose authoritarian policies on what people can farm or tell consumers what to eat. People already have vegetarian options but are not opting for them. Instead, the government should push for meat production to be made more efficient and to have the scientific community breed genetically engineered cows that emit less methane. And we've got a nerd narrative that says there's a 50% chance that at least 3.71% of U.S. adults will self-report to follow a vegan diet in 2028. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. You seem to me like a pretty heavy carnivore, Eric. Is that the case? No, actually, I'm kind of... um... I kind of lean towards a kind of a low meat diet, to be honest with you. Oh, do you really? Do you, do you... I like I like seafood, as as in the joke where you see food and you eat it. It's exactly what I, that's exactly <laughs> where I was going, Adam. How'd you know? <laughs> Unbelievable! Because you're the king of corny jokes, man. Oh my goodness! Have you have you had a ha, had an impossible burger or a vegetarian burger? No, I have not. Have you? Oh yeah. Are you a vegetarian? No, I'm not. But I but I have cut down on my red meat and like processed right. meat consumption. I tell you what, I like I like a Mediterranean diet. That that's just kind of my thing. Now. Oh did, yeah. Yeah, just you know a lot of a lot of fresh vegetables and seafood. All right, and, all right. You know, salad. You still trying to ride that seafood joke? Yes, I am. Okay, Gosh, all right. All right, never mind. We'll, we'll just move <laughs> <All> on. <right. laughs> and in our final story today, Amsterdam bans cruise ships. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, CNN, Times, and RTE. In an effort to curb an unsubstantial number of visitors and limit pollution, Amsterdam City Council voted to ban cruise ships from entering its city's center ports. Accordingly, the central cruise terminal on the River IJ near Amsterdam's main train station will close. The council, which the center-left party D66 said voted with a clear majority, will now have to figure out how to implement the ban, including discussions with the managers of the North Sea Channel, the councils of other cities on the channel, and the Dutch government. Ileana Rotterkirk, leader of D66, said the 100 ships that dock at the city annually do not match the substantial ambitions of our city. The city in March also began discouraging young men, particularly from the UK, from traveling to the city for drinks and drugs, dubbing them nuisance tourists. The campaign sent out to warn men of the consequences of antisocial behavior and excessive drug and alcohol abuse including fines, arrest, criminal records, hospitalization, and health issues. Mayor Femke Halsima complained last year that cruise tourists would visit the city for a few hours but only eat at chain restaurants and have no time to culturally visit sites like museums. Regarding pollution, a study of one ship found that it emitted the same levels of nitrogen oxides in one day as 30,000 trucks. This comes as the city is planning to ban the use of marijuana on the street and take new steps to discourage alcohol in its red light district, the traditional center of the city's legal sex trade. The municipality previously announced a ban on tours of the red light district, as well as plans to restrict river cruises, convert hotels into offices, and impose curfews on bars. Thanks, Adam, for the facts of that story. Narrative A is our first spin, and it's coming from Dutch Review. 
If you think banning these giant floating carbon-emitting resorts will hurt the Dutch economy, remember that the tourists on board only spend a few hours in the city and don't even visit local venues. They're a waste of precious space, pollute the air, and encourage degenerate behavior that ruins the true culture of Amsterdam. This was the right move for the city and its people. We're going to follow that up with a narrative B provided by Guardian. While locals certainly want to stem the rowdy behavior unleashed by partygoers on a nightly basis, the problem isn't just visiting men. It's large groups of men in general, including Dutch residents. Local venues have and can continue to tackle these issues on their own by simply banning large groups of drunks from entering their establishments. The government doesn't need to step in and criminalize tourism. Our final nerd narrative today from Metaculous Prediction Community says there is a 50% chance that at least 44% of countries that pledge carbon neutrality by the year 2050 will keep their pledge. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, July 22nd, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team that extracts both the key facts that all the articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.